Welcome back to the first Paris 21 podcast, Data for the People, after the summer break. We are very honored and delighted to have as our first guest, Sarah Hendricks, who is the Director for Program, Policy and Intergovernmental Division at UN Women. Welcome, Sarah, to this podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you today. The year 2020 marks a real milestone moment for accelerating the implementation of global commitments to gender equality. I mean, it's the 25th anniversary of the fourth World Conference on Women and of the landmark outcome, the Beijing Declaration and Platform for Action. So I was just wondering, you have been following this very closely. You have been active part of this. What changed since Beijing? Where did we make progress and in which areas Didn't we make enough progress? I think important progress has been made, and we see this bearing out in data since 1995. Today, certainly more countries have reached gender parity in areas such as educational enrollment, in literacy rates, in maternal mortality, where we see fewer women are dying in childbirth than ever before. We've also seen a strengthening of social protection and social protection measures that have a gender intentional focus. In many countries, we've seen um, you know, really substantive changes to laws and policies that matter in areas of women's lives. So many countries have bolstered parental leave to address women's disproportionate share of unpaid care and domestic work. 131 countries have actually passed laws to support women's equality on things like access to healthcare or education or to promote women's political participation and representation in government. We've also seen a vast improvement in certainly the generation and use of gender data and statistics. And this was a key area of emphasis in the Beijing Platform for Action. I think one of the um, important areas of momentum and improvements has been in the development of international standards or in efforts to collect quality comparable gender data through large survey programs. And we see this in survey programs like the LSMS, the, the Living Standard Measurement Surveys, um, the DHS, the Demographic and Health Surveys, or MIX, the Multiple Indicator Cluster Surveys. That notwithstanding, we still have major severe gender data gaps. And even the very incomplete data we currently have is nevertheless making a tremendous difference. On the other side of the coin, Uh, in too many areas, progress has been actually painfully slow. And in fact, in some areas, progress has stalled or is, is also being reversed. For example, less than two-thirds of women are in the labor force today compared to more than 90% of men. And this has not changed. This has not changed in 30 years. Furthermore, weak law enforcement means that 243 million women are actually victims of violence from an intimate partner every single year. So while we're seeing, for example, countries start to implement laws and policies on violence against women, we're not seeing that bear out in terms of implementation. Furthermore, 190 million women still lack the means to make choices about pregnancy, even if they want to. 
And finally, globally around the world, 75% of legislators are still men. So where we've seen significant progress in the area of women's political participation, women's underrepresentation in positions of power remains the norm. Um, I found a quote from a former professor of the University of Oxford, Linda Scott. She was giving an interview uh, recently and she said that the pandemic is playing out and reinforcing uh, standard patterns. It is hitting women hardest for the same reasons. For instance, she says the virus has hit childcare, service industries, part-time work, low-income jobs of all which involve disproportionate numbers of women. So how do you think about COVID and uh, the risk that uh, all this good progress will be wiped away? I believe when we look at the data, we see that the COVID-19 pandemic is and will continue to affect women disproportionately and threatens to undo decades of progress towards gender equality. We're now seeing the discussion or the framing of a female recession. Furthermore, what we, what we see is that, that the pandemic is acting almost like a magnifying glass, both revealing and also intensifying existing gender inequalities. And so it's becoming ever clearer that this crisis is having a severe impact on women and girls. And how do we know this? What are we seeing from the data that we have? Well, we know from the data that men certainly have higher mortality rates from COVID-19, but across every other measure points to women bearing the brunt of this crisis. Women are losing their livelihoods faster because they are more exposed to the economic sectors that are disproportionately affected. Disproportionately affected, I should say, from the lockdown. Women are shouldering uh, the burden of increased and intensive workloads at home. And we're also seeing significant reports of dangerous spikes in domestic violence. UN Women published new data earlier uh, last month in September, which shows that the pandemic will push 96 million people into extreme poverty by 2021 and 47 million of those are women and girls. What we're seeing in the data is that by 2021, for every 100 men aged 25 to 34, currently living in extreme poverty, there will be 118 women. And this gap is expected to increase to 121 women per 100 men by the year 2030. We see women disproportionately in the role of informal workers, including domestic workers, as well as disproportionately being represented in economic sectors such as retail and hospitality, tourism. Um, and it is these jobs and livelihoods that are being lost in, in massive numbers. Globally, 72% of domestic workers, 80% of whom are women, have lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19 to date. You make uh, reference to data and statistics, and you spoke about it before, and I think you use it uh, very eloquently to make uh, your points and to convince. Now, as Paris 21 and UN Women, we are data-driven organizations, so uh, we believe that through more and better data, 
we will hopefully have more and better policies that then lead to more and better lives. This being said, if you look at the poor numbers supporting the production of data, supporting the use of data, the impact, the overall finances, both from national governments and from international donors, are really very, very low. As you may know, um, overall spending from ODA to data and statistics is less than 1% over the last decades. And also for gender statistics, the money from governments as well as from international organizations isn't maybe at the level it could be. How can we convince those who make decisions that this is actually a way to go forward if you want to address the problems that you so neatly mapped out before? Number one is, is to ensure that national statistical offices as well as uh, national statistical strategies really have a strong commitment to gender data and to gender statistics and are equipped with the capacity to collect gender data and statistics effectively. Furthermore, I think on the heels of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, there is an opportunity to leverage the greater emphasis on data overall and the importance of gender data-driven initiatives into conversations around financing and funding for the SDGs in this decade of action. We do know that um, more data is, is needed and um, financing of data and statistics from a gender lens is required over a long-term horizon. And I think that's going to require the work and the effort of many in order to advance and accelerate that. So in looking forward to next year, uh, Sarah, we will have the Generation Equality Forum. Could you just tell us what that is and how one can get engaged? So the Generation Equality Forum is a civil society centered global gathering for gender equality. It's convened by UN Women, but in partnership with the governments of Mexico and France, um, and in partnership with civil society itself. And the Generation Equality Forum will launch a set of concrete, ambitious, and transformative actions. These are called the Action Coalitions. These are multi-stakeholder initiatives that will seek to drive tangible results on gender equality in the UN Decade for Action and to accelerate progress on the SDGs. Each of these action coalitions are set to launch a really a blueprint, a business plan for um, change in terms of a set of concrete actions within the period of 2020 through 2025. And a gender responsive indicator framework will be a critical tool to assess progress as well as the, the quality of change being achieved. So that's where I think, you know, there's going to be an urgent and important need to construct and improve statistical information and data across all of the themes of the action coalitions. And this is where partners like you, Paris 21, and other partners can really be catalytic to supporting the amplification of gender data and statistics as it relates to all of these action coalition themes. There's also, as, as, you, as you know, and UN Women is, is, is actively taking part, the UN World Data Forum coming up which will hopefully further 
harness and garner support for this for this important topic. We have been very closely associated with the Bern Network, which is the first informal coalition bringing together funding agency and statisticians. And one of the new ideas that we will be working on with UN Women and others is a clearinghouse for more and better funding. So overall, it seems that uh, there are challenges and we start from a relatively low base, but there's also uh, lots of reason to be um, optimistic. I mean, looking a little bit ahead, what will be important trends that, we, that you foresee today? And um, how do you think should we engage? Definitely, I think there's a number of big trends in gender equality and data and measurement that require enhanced attention. I certainly don't want to emphasize any prioritization of these trends, so I'll just name them in no particular order. I think one is uh, technology. The use of artificial intelligence and big, big data today is ubiquitous. We know that. This is a phenomenon that will continue to accelerate, but it also raises all kinds of questions for gender equality, also from a rights uh, perspective in general. In terms of a human rights principle of, of do no harm, data collection exercises need to ensure not to create or further reinforce discrimination, biases, or stereotypes against population groups. And uh, we also know that there, there have been critical concerns raised that need to be taken seriously by data producers as it relates to technology, AI, and big data. We know that algorithms can be biased, including from a gender lens, that big data can be exclusionary, that there's privacy and confidentiality and data protection challenges. Um, and so really kind of grappling with the constant pace of change on technology and data is something that we need to really engage with from a gender data and statistics perspective. Secondly, um, certainly environmental degradation, climate change, climate mitigation, adaptation are critical issues that humanity is facing across the world today. We do see borne out in data, women and girls are suffering the consequences of climate change and women and girls are also such a key part of the solution. But when it comes to actually gender data and climate and climate change, we, we're sort of coming up with very little in our hands. Very difficult to point to substantive data sets that we can you know, focus on here. And it's only through better measurement, good data and evidence that we can start to really generate solutions that align with the very ambitious objectives, for example, of the last COP process um, on climate. And this is, I think, an important gap that we need to address urgently. And the final trend I think that I'll highlight is one that is long persistent, long, long overdue, and that is the issue of intersectionality. And as a global community, I think we need to pay more attention um, to how to address gender and intersectionality in data and statistics. This is an issue that has reared its head for, you know, since the MDGs. Um, certainly some of the work that has been uh, undertaken with the Intersecretariat Working Group on Household Surveys is intended to address the challenges of gender intersectionality. Um, but generally, the global statistical community really needs to ensure that gender and intersectionality, women's multiple and intersecting identities, is a default approach 
rather than an add-on or an afterthought. You know, in fact, we, we only have 31% of the data needed to monitor the gender-related indicators in the SDGs. This means that even as we tackle these new areas that I've just mentioned, it's important that we don't lose sight of the existing gender data gaps and continue with a strong focused effort to close those gaps, a strong drumbeat on that. And this means supporting countries to conduct surveys, um, strengthening administrative data, integrating gender statistics into national strategies for the development of statistics. I think it's just important and an opportunity for me to thank Paris 21 and to call up Paris 21 for the role that you have played in capacity development work uh, on gender data and statistics with national statistical offices and for the impactful collaboration that we've shared over the last three years. So Sarah, thank you so much for taking this time uh, this morning. It was great talking to you and all the best to you and your colleagues. Thank you so much, Johannes. It's been wonderful to speak to you as well.